All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and as I like to remind you each and every week, I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. And my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? Uh, sell, uh, you can put your name on the waiting list to sign up for Chen. He will be accepting new subscribers at the beginning of the next calendar quarter. And um, you can sign up for my letter, however, anytime at miningstocks.com. Go to both places, miningstock, or go to miningstocks.com to sign up for both newsletters. Uh, you can also call our office here in New York at 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426 during normal business hours in New York, uh, and we can uh, uh, ha- sign you up as a subscriber then as well. I do want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it one of the more popular business shows on the uh, Voice America Business Channel. I would also encourage you to continue sending along, as many of you have been doing. Thank you very much uh, for send, sending along your comments, questions, uh, criticisms, uh, praises, whatever, to questions for Taylor at gmail.com. would like to also invite you to follow me on Twitter. My handle is jtaylormedia. Uh, I do want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for today's show are Carlisle Goldfields, Oren Resources, and Cornerstone Capital Resources. I've titled today's show, Will Gold Zoom Higher with Greece on the Brink of Default? Well, it seems to be an almost foregone conclusion that, Greek, uh, that Greece will default. The question is not if, but when. And uh, it just seems as though more and more money that is shoved down the rat hole in Greece uh, is certainly not doing anybody any good. Uh, Well, that's not quite true. It probably is benefiting the bankers who are keeping or avoiding a default because of the massive amount of debt that is owed to the banks and the banks are not or are so highly levered. Uh, And this is the problem, of course, that the global banking system is facing is one of enormous leverage. well, anyway, our guests today will be Axel Merck and Michael Oliver. Axel will talk about his views on the dollar and the euro and what impact he thinks a Greek default may have on the relationship between the dollar and the euro. And, of course, we want to get his views on what that may mean for gold as well. Uh, and using his technical analytical skills, Michael Oliver will be with me in a few minutes after a first commercial break. Uh, he'll be talking about some of the major markets he pointed out in this weekly and his weekend missive. Uh, he talked about the debt markets, the sovereign debt markets, uh, the gold and equities markets. He believes are all in a in a uh, position for a major tectonic shift. Um, with uh, the debt markets and uh, the equity markets destined 
uh, for a, de- a major decline and for gold looking uh, uh, to turn upward again. It certainly is the largest bubble in history, uh, and that is the sovereign debt bubble. And it may indeed be the bubble to end all bubbles in this period of massive central bank inflation that has all but destroyed free market economics around the world. Certainly, uh, the debt, enormous amount of indebtedness and leverage that's built into the system was made possible only when Nixon, uh, for the first time in history, when Nixon uh, took gold away from virtually every uh, monetary system, every country in the world, no longer uh, was the free market allowed to determine in any, uh, to any degree, uh, what it would use as a medium of exchange, as it always had for centuries chosen gold, uh, suddenly gold has been entirely dismissed from the monetary system, and it has bred the most, uh, I would say, the most extravagant debt bubble in history. And so the sovereign debt bubble may be, in my view, uh, the debt bubble to end all debt bubbles. Um, certainly, what I am finding uh, sort of... Well, very interesting, in fact, is that there are a lot of mainstream articles now that are starting to pick up uh, on this, uh, unfortunately, this doom and gloom theme that we've been talking about. Doom and gloom in the sense that not that anybody wishes to make money by uh, championing doom and gloom, uh, but simply because we see the handwriting is on the wall when, when the laws of economics are defied when governments start printing money, when they promise people they can have something for nothing, uh, then certainly uh, that will not end well at, at some time in the future. But what is really interesting now is more and more mainstream articles, uh, mainstream economists are starting to, well, at least in part, see the handwriting on the wall. I'd like to call to your attention an article that just came out from The Telegraph written by Ambrose Evans Pritchard. Uh, this was written uh, on the 24th. Of May, uh, it's titled "HSBC Fears World Recession with No Lifeboats Left," uh, and uh, Mr. Pritchard quotes Stephen King from uh, HSBC. He warns the global authorities have alarmingly few tools to combat the next crunch, given that interest rates are already zero across most of the developed world, debt levels are at or near record highs, and there is little scope for fiscal stimulus. He uh, quotes Mr. King as saying, the world economy is sailing across the ocean without any lifeboats to use in case of emergency. Uh, Further quoting uh, uh, HSBC economist uh, Mr. King, Mr. Pritchard uh, notes the following. Uh, Mr. King says that the global authorities face awful choices if the world economy hits the reefs in the current condition. Uh, The last resort may have to be, quote unquote, helicopter money, a radically different form of QE that injects money directly into the veins of the economy by funding government spending. It is a Rubicon that no central bank wishes to cross, though the Bank of Japan is already in up to its knees. The imperative is to avoid any premature tightening or policy error that could crystallize the danger. As Mr. King puts it acidly, many, including the owner of the Titanic, thought it was unsinkable. Its designer, however, was quick to point out that she is made of iron, sir. I assure you, she can sink, end of quote. Well, not to alarm you, but I mean, the point that I'm making is uh, that uh, this pathology has been in the making for decades. Uh, and it uh, was a, a real turning point when Nixon took us off the gold standard, when he no longer allowed any remnant of honest monetary measure 
no honest weights and measures any longer in the monetary system. And so that gave carte blanche uh, to the Keynesian economists to spend money like there was no tomorrow. It also gave carte blanche to the United States to engage in military escapades around the world uh, and to uh, build its empire uh, by printing money. However, uh, those days may be soon coming to an end. Um, you know, it's... it's um, David Stockman, here's another article that I just wanted to bring to your attention. I think it's very important. David Stockman wrote an article uh, this weekend. It says, pray for the Greek accident. It will trigger the demise of the ECB and the world's toxic regime of Keynesian central banking. Um, Anyway, David just points out uh, that he would like to see uh, the world recognized that the emperor is wearing no clothes, that the system is broke, that we could just get it over with once and for all and start building anew with a more sound monetary system uh, and sound economics. Uh, but David writes, he says, the good thing, uh, referring to the Greek uh, default that's imminent, seemingly imminent, he says the good thing is that this whole misbegotten Euro project cannot survive the impending Greek default. The ECB is now on the hook for $138 billion of Greek liabilities, an amount that is equal to the remaining deposits in its entire banking system. Needless to say, when the impending Greek accident ex- explodes into the front pages, there will be pandemonium at the ECB and in Brussels and the capitals throughout the 19-nation Eurozone. End of quote. Well, certainly uh, the pathology of the Western world has not been lost Uh, on the Chinese, nor the Russians, nor others for that matter. As a matter of fact, I would like to just point out just one more article before we take our commercial break. Uh, And that has to do with one that was written uh, by Kuz Jensen on his Bullion Star blogs. And uh, this article is entitled, China Sets Up for Gold Fund. Uh, China Sets Up Gold Fund for Central Banks. And uh, just quoting one Chinese official uh, who said just recently, and there's apparently a 100 billion yuan fund that's led uh, by the Shanghai Gold Exchange uh, that will be used to facilitate gold purchases for the central bank members, uh, member states at the uh, Shanghai uh, Gold Exchange. Uh, and uh, here is what one Chinese official said. He said, and I quote, it's perhaps a good time for the befuddled world to start considering building a de-Americanized world. A self-serving Washington has abused its superpower status and introduced even more chaos into the world by shifting financial risks overseas, instigating regional tensions amid territorial disputes and fighting unwarranted wars under the cover of outright lies. As a result, the world is still crawling its way out of an economic disaster thanks to the voracious Wall Street elites. End of quote. Well, uh, it is... uh, Mr. Kuz Johnson Jensen says it is being thought that these articles are written directly by the Chinese government. Well, it certainly seems to be the case that uh, uh, there is going to be a major confrontation, I believe, and it's brewing. It has to do with the petrodollar, which is in competition with uh, the, uh, that is the petrodollar is in competition with the BRICS that are being set up uh, by China and Russia primarily. And the more we push China and Russia, especially Russia, with sanctions and so forth, it is forced to, into a stronger alliance with China and the BRIC nations. Uh, David Jensen just sent out a very uh, interesting uh, commentary to this uh, article that Kuz Johnson wrote. Uh, and it's, uh, David says, China's activity is facilitating physical gold liquidity for Silk Road countries, uh, 
uh, is now that is now in fact going beyond the BRICS. Uh, he says, with its actions, China could not be more clear of its intentions to remonetize gold. It is therefore essential that we in the West prepare to remonetize gold and silver, as well as our countries will. Uh, excuse me. It is uh, therefore essential that we in the West prepare to remonetize gold and silver, as well as our countries uh, will perish when our token-based currencies collapse on the announcement of the return of real money into the global system. End of quote, David. Jensen. I do hope to have David on my show perhaps next week uh, to talk a little bit more about some of the events that have been taking place. Uh, But in any event, it is time to go to our first commercial break, uh, but don't go away because uh, when we come back, Michael Oliver will be with us to talk about what he sees uh, based on his technical analysis for some of these key markets, uh, the equities, the debt markets, uh, sovereign debt markets, and gold. So don't go away. We'll be right back. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Where infrastructure meets grade, Carlisle Goldfields, a TSX-listed Canadian junior miner, has an advanced gold asset in Lynn Lake, Manitoba, Canada, and is being carried through feasibility in a joint venture with NYSE-listed Orico Gold. The Lynn Lake Gold Camp has an open pitable gold resource of 1.7 million ounces measured and indicated and 2.3 million ounces inferred. Orico is in it to build it, and the project is expected to be in mineable reserves by Q3 2016. Government and First Nations support Carlisle's move to production at Lynn Lake. Oren Resources is a Canadian-based gold exploration company focused on the company's flagship Committee Bay project located in northern Canada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. The company's current resource outlined by drilling thus far stands at 1.1 million ounces of gold at over 8 grams per ton. Oren is operated by the same team that founded Asanko Gold, which is constructing a major gold mine in West Africa, and Caden Resources, which was recently purchased in November for over two. $200 million. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really glad to have with me once again Michael Oliver, who joins me almost every week whenever it's possible. Anyway, I'd like to have Michael on. He is the author of Momentum Structural Analysis, a very uh, very wonderful report that uh, you should go to learn more about uh, MSA, uh, OliverMSA.com. Uh, and learn more about Michael's work. He does make it available now to accredited investors. It used to be available only to a very select few uh, major financial institutions, but now uh, Michael is making it a a bit more broadly available, and we're grateful uh, that he has joined us again uh, today. Thanks for joining me, Michael. Good to be here. 
You know, I like to talk to you, uh, one of the reasons, there's many reasons I like to talk to you. First of all, I think I, I have a, a building confidence in your, in your work in terms of helping me uh, perceive probabilities of what might take place in, the, in various markets, the key markets that I look at and the ones you talk about here uh, frequently. But I also like to talk to you because, uh, in a way, you give me hope that the evildoers in government, namely the Keynesians who are really trying to destroy markets, and hence, I believe, the lives and liberties that our founding fathers willed for us in the Constitution, you see the uh, you provide some hope that ultimately the laws of nature's markets will prevail. Uh, mm-hmm. And, of course, uh, you know, you, you wrote a little bit about this uh, in your weekend missive. Do you care to comment on that, on that thought? Yeah, it's... Uh <clears throat> the struggle is that it, most people that I encounter are one side or the other of that argument. They're, they believe that government is, in effect, God and uh, makes money. If you didn't have them, you wouldn't have money and you wouldn't have roads and you wouldn't have air. And You, you know, it, it's, yeah. it's a God, okay? Yeah. Uh, and then there are people on the other side uh, over the last 40 or so years who've evolved toward a, a more libertarian view of reality in the world. And, and that, that's an intellectual conflict, okay? But it exhibits itself in the markets as well because the state via its central banks, not just the U.S., but other, other countries as well, particularly the Western, quote, capitalist countries are the main uh, uh, examples of this, uh, intervene in their markets to manipulate them as if the markets don't have an independent life. And if they did, it would be total chaos. We all know that. And so uh, these wise men come from above. They never had a real job in their life, and yet they're going to tell us what the cost of money should be. Therefore, they set interest rates. Uh, they try to get us to allocate capital where they want us to allocate capital by discouraging us in certain areas or encouraging other areas. Uh, in other words, planning, the planned command economy. And the markets naturally will exhibit the restraints put on them by these forces uh, or the encouragements uh, by these forces and respond accordingly, and probably respond in a way that they would not otherwise respond if they were free to trade, if the prices of uh, commodity X were free to go uh, whichever way it wanted, or this bond market go whichever way it wanted. So we have distortions, and they show in the markets. Um, the problem is, at what point do the distortions reach actionable levels where it's going to go the other way, and it invariably mm-hmm. does. We've seen it throughout history. Uh, I know a lot, for example, a lot of gold bulls are very frustrated. Uh, they've been watching gold oscillate either the side of 1180 for three years now. Yep. And they think the market is controlled, and to some extent I, wouldn't, I can't argue against that, that governments do exert, wish to exert downward pressure on gold. But there's a point at which it won't work. Uh, there's a point at which you underprice gold, and no matter what they want to do or say about it, or even secret interventions if those things do occur, uh, won't have the impact it might have had at $1,900 gold. Mm-hmm. I remember back in the uh, bull market gold in the 70s, <clears throat> the IMF auctioned huge blocks of gold periodically. And uh, there were alleged reasons for this, but the main reason was to intimidate that rising bull market in gold. And there was a point they finally gave up. <laughs> they would uh, initially they'd, they'd uh, auction a, a large block of gold and sell it, and you might see a dent in the gold market. But there got to be a point in the middle of that bull trend where the market just ate it up, mm-hmm. and they could they didn't get in the way anymore. They they backed off, yeah. uh, and so you know it's a lesson to be learned. So it's always an issue of what timing. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I, I guess they just realized if they kept doing that, pretty soon they wouldn't have any more gold yeah. to play with. Right. Uh, and right now we're faced with a, a very interesting historical philosophical duel between ex-communist nations coming to gold 
and Western capitalist nations wanting to uh, renounce it and get away from it. Uh, what a what a world, right? <laughs> so, yeah, it's, uh, it seems paradox, paradoxical. But then, on the other hand, when I see the philosophical leanings of some of the uh, the ruling elite, I realize that their their belief system is very close to uh, not that far from Karl Marx to start with. So right, it has evolved that way, or Mussolini in particular, the father of. Uh, uh, the variant of socialism we call fascism. Anyway, uh, back to the markets. The tectonic plates that I, I see out there in a weekend report, I discussed the government debt markets, uh, particularly the European debt markets, uh, which have been specifically targeted by the ECB and their QE programs, uh, which started up again in January. Uh, so these are instruments that are, are the instruments they're literally buying, and yet that marketplace was ambushed off the page two and three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. It was as if, so what? You're bidding for it, we're going right through you. And if you just take a look at those charts, whether it's a yield chart going up or a price chart going down, that was a dramatic move. It took their breath away. Uh, the ECB was panicked. Uh, they as much said so. Uh, last week, uh, their executive committee member uh, spoke up and said they were going to beef up their uh, their bids this month and next month in terms of quantity. Uh, obviously, ambushed by the markets, which proves it can happen. Uh, so the same principle applies to uh, the, the equity markets, which have been vastly overpriced in Japan, Europe, and the U.S. by central banks. That, too, can come to an end. And similarly with gold. Mm-hmm. So all these forces that uh, <clears throat> you know, the gold bulls feel intimidated by, by the state, uh, and, and if they sell into the stock market, they feel intimidated because it just invariably goes and makes a new high. Well, put it in context. Uh, the S&P's low today, last I saw, was 20.99. That is six full points above the high of last December, the high of last mm-hmm. year. We're almost mid-year. Mm-hmm. And we're effectively trading at last year's high. So it really hasn't gotten, gone anywhere in a sustained way. Uh, it's just held up there. And so I would think a, you know, a stock bull right now should be about as frustrated as a gold bull. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. It really isn't going anywhere. Right. Uh, I'm looking for those plates to shift. I'm looking for the stocks to <clears throat> crumble, and we're not far from certain numbers, and for gold to reassert itself on the upside. Right, and what I would like to just mention to my listeners is uh, that Michael provides uh, some very, very good charts that uh, help you to see key breaking points. And, you know, you see the resistance, you'll see something, uh, the markets hit this sort of uh, structural line several times, and then finally when it breaks through uh, one way or the other, you know that you're off, uh, you know that you're probably the probability of, of making money and betting in that direction is, is very good, right, Michael? Right, what's the, the momentum structures are what I look at. In other words, I don't look at the price chart so much as sure. I, I detrend price and I create an oscillator. And the oscillator uh, sometimes will jump off the page at you. You can look at it and see something that the price chart doesn't reveal. Uh, quite often a very pregnant trend change situation with a topping pattern or a bottoming pattern. And both gold and the S&P right now are, are not far away from, you know, several percentage points. In case of the S&P actually one or two percentage points away from breaking downward. Uh, in the case of gold, uh, several percentage points below levels that would convincingly turn it up. And uh, so that's what I monitor for. I see these things ahead of time, and then I monitor for the point of breakage, and in which case it's a buyer, it's a sell accordingly. Uh, in Europe, of course, it was the Bund, uh, the German Bund, that uh, it, just a fantastic picture that you showed in your chart of how, uh, you know, it was about a month ago, I guess, you were you were signaling, your your work was signaling, uh, that the boon was in trouble, and lo mm-hmm. and behold, it it really did tank, as you say, uh, much mm-hmm. to I'm sure the uh, the grief of the central bankers. 
what, what do you see for the boon now? Or, or do you think we'll see a, a leveling off for a while? The, the, the 10-year notes in uh, Europe and the U.S. in particular, if you short those markets, I, I think they're going to go up in yield and therefore down in price. Yeah. But I think they could be savage in that process, meaning you could get very sharp rallies that I would regard now as counter-trend rallies in the price of those instruments. We're getting one today. Well, of course, we're also getting a very sharp stock market sell-off, and there's a reason. Uh, uh, yes, I think rates are now headed back up. That trend is now over, uh, uh, largely a government-controlled trend over the last year, particularly in Europe with the uh, various euro bonds. Uh, but the because of the continued uh, uh, willingness of investors to move money into those instruments simply on the, on the issue of safety, that's a dangerous thing if you short those markets because you can get a rally exceptionally sharp, exceptionally quick that can hurt. Even if the rally does not make a new high, it can still hurt. And I think that's what's going on today, for example. Yeah, so and I would the, certainly say I use say it that as a barometer of a, of a major asset category that's lost its control. Uh, uh, it's no longer under the control of the central banks. When I see that happen in equities, that will add more evidence to that overall process. And when I see gold turn up through 1255, that will be the, effectively the last piece of the puzzle. All right, 1255 is the key. I know you've been talking that remains, about that. Yes, that remains that's, that number. S&P now, interesting. Uh, we only have three days left in the month um, mm-hmm. to trade. It's 20-some-odd uh, trading hours. You get into the month of June, and not far below today's low. I get numbers, actually some start this week, at 2087. You don't want to see it. Daily close there. Low today so far was 2099, best the last I saw. So we're not we're half percent away from the top end of a minefield. Uh, now, starting next week again in June, my numbers that indicate breakage, severe breakage, start uh, at, at around 2090, get down to about 2070, and that's it. You get below there, and there's nothing left. I, it, it should be a pretty much a sharp drop from that point, in which case then I think you can start to look back at the high of the year, which was several weeks ago, in the target zone that MSA had suggested early this year is the high of the year, namely 2126 to 2130 zone. And our closes all last week were right in that zone, each mm-hmm. daily close. So that might have been the high, but I don't have enough evidence of that yet. If we break down another percent or two, at that point, my confidence level is pretty high that that was the high of the year. Okay. What, uh, today, getting back to gold, today gold is taking quite a hit. Uh, it's down, I don't know, 15, 20 bucks or something like that. Mm-hmm. Does that change, uh, change your view on anything? No, no, I, I think if, my general view on gold is this. It's, you're probably looking, looking at the bottom over the last several years. It's been an oscillating base-building process. Mm-hmm. Uh, we trade either side of 1180 was the low in 2013, late 2013. We pierced it last November, got down to 1130 and change, and immediately popped back above it, and we've gone quiet. So it, it's much like the stock market. I mean, uh, it, it's really not going down any more than stocks are really going up. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not. It's a congestion process. I think it's topping for stocks, bottoming for gold. Now, what if the possibility of gold make one more new low? It might. I don't put a very good bet on that. If it did, I think it would be a rocket ship V bottom situation. And my bet right now is, no, you're not going to make a new low. That that November low was probably it. Now, as far as investment commitment to gold, aside from someone who wants to have X percent always in gold, mm-hmm. dismissing that part of the debate, uh, if I were trading gold every several years, let's say, uh, you know, buying it low and selling high type thing, uh, 1190, definitely 80, uh, so forth, uh, several years ago was a sell. We, we argued that case. 
Now I argue the opposite. I think you should be at least 25, 30% long gold, whatever amount you want to have in it, dollar amount. And we get above the 12, get up to the 1255 level. I would mm-hmm. go 100% at that point. Wow. Whatever, well, whatever amount of commitment you want to have in gold. Uh, but right now it'd only be you know, 25, 30% long and, and relax. Uh, don't, don't get too heavy too quick. Uh, don't be afraid to pay up a little bit for it, because if you pay up at, it, it, at the right point, then you have the inertia at your back, the wind at your back. And right now, I think the wind is sort of going sideways. Right. Now, let me just uh, clarify. I think what you said, you would suggest 25%, 30% of the amount you want to allocate to gold at the peak. In other words, it's well, not yeah, 25 or 30% of your entire... you want entire, to commit your, to a new gold bull market, yeah. uh, and you have the resources sitting there ready to commit, don't commit at all. Commit to uh, yeah. that portion. Sure. Now, with more positive evidence, then go ahead and commit the rest. And I'm arguing that that next level is 1255. That number will get lower next quarter, but for the remaining four and a half weeks of this quarter, that's still the number. You had some interesting things to say here with just a couple of minutes left uh, mm-hmm. in our segment here. You had some interesting things to say this weekend on uh, on commodities and gold. You look at the you like to look at spreads. One of the spreads you looked at was uh, you looked at the shares, I think, relative to S&P 500. Perhaps mm-hmm. you could comment on that. Your, your view is that the shares should lead the bullion this time, I believe. Now, I think they will outperform. Whether they lead in terms of breaking out, I'm not sure. But uh, I, I think that, that from here on forward, if, if gold goes up, you don't want to be long gold so much as you want to be long GDX or gold miners. And uh, some folks are good at picking those on a fundamental basis. And I'm looking at a, you know, an aggregate called the GDX, sure. the ETF, uh, the major gold miners. And right now, if you divide the price of the GDX into the S&P, you'll get something like nine-tenths of 1%. It's 0.92, I think, actually. Uh, if you ever see a weekly close where when you divide the weekly closing price of GDX into the weekly closing price of the S&P and it comes out to be 1.1%, that spread has shifted. It says at that point going forward, gold miners are going to beat the S&P on a relative performance basis. I also argue they're going to beat gold on a relative performance basis. Mm-hmm. So I look at these relative performance shifts because quite often they're also coincidental with net price trend changes. So if, if GDX shifts positive to the S&P on a spread, a relative performance basis, you can bet pretty well that the GDX is also turning up on a net basis. All right. Well, just, just one, quick, uh, one more quick question here to do with uh, CRB and gold. You also provide some uh, spread analyses there. What, what are your thoughts there? You, your belief is that gold will lead the commodity index, uh, the commodity sector, I believe, right? It, it has, and it did that in the, the, late se- the mid and late 70s. Gold made its corrective low at $103.50 in August of uh, 1976. Now, that was a big drop because it started out when they legalized it in January of 1975 at $200. So you dropped from 200 back to 103 That was summer of 76. Commodities as a basket did not bottom until summer of 77. And in that intervening year, gold not only made its low, but started up, and it spread. When you measure gold against the basket, and I used CRB index back then, clearly turned up, and it was in, the spread itself was just roaring. Gold was handily beating commodities. Well, so what? Well, what ultimately happened is with that lag of about a year, then the net price trend of the CRB also turned up. And as you know, we had a major bull market, not just in gold, but in a basket of commodities throughout mm-hmm. you know, up till 1980. Gold led the way all the way to the top. And in mm-hmm. fact, it spread top before commodities topped, mm-hmm. about a year, about nine or ten months before. Well, we've got the same thing now. 
gold has turned up assertively, very strongly against the Bloomberg Commodity Index, which is the one I use now, which is very similar to the old CRB in its makeup. Uh, it says gold has now assumed leadership. It did that last, late last year. So, okay, now we're about three-quarters of a year after that event, and I'd be looking for a commodity bottom. All right. And I think All right. what we'll see is a, is a gold bull leading commodities, beating them, but commodities following along as a basket. All right. Very good. Well, interesting enough. And uh, thank you again for being with us. Michael, we'll look to do it again hopefully next week. Thank you so much for sharing your time and and insights with us. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Uh, Okay, folks. Well, we do have to take a commercial break, but uh, Axel Merck will be joining me right after that. So don't go away. Axel will have some very interesting things to say. We want to ask him uh, what he thinks about uh, about what's going on in Greece and what effect that might have. Uh, on the gold markets and, of course, other markets as well. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Axel Merck. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Cornerstone Capital Resources is a prospect generator focused on joint venturing its highly prospective gold, silver, and copper projects in Ecuador and Chile. At its Cascabel Joint Venture in Ecuador, funded by partner Sol Gold PLC, hole five of an ongoing drilling program intersected over 1,300 meters, grading over six-tenths of a percent copper and over half a gram per ton gold. Cornerstone retains a 15% interest financed through to completion of a bankable feasibility study. Symbol CGP on the TS. SXV and CTNXF on the OTC. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. listening to turning hard times into good times with your host jay taylor if you have a question or comment about today's show jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 you can also send an email to questions taylor at gmail.com that's questions the number four taylor at gmail.com now back to our program Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. I'm really pleased to have with me once again Axel Merck. He is the president and CIO of Merck Investments. Uh, he's a manager of the Merck Funds, which he founded in 1994. Uh, and he is really quite, a, quite an astute commentator and observer of macroeconomic trends and events and uh, also an innovator in various markets. The latest product he put out there that is really uh, quite unique is the Merck uh, Gold Trust ETF, and it's unique in the sense that you can uh, buy it as an ETF. It is an ETF. You can buy it, and then you uh, and, and then you can uh, actually have gold take possession of the physical gold that underlies uh, your ETF. And the symbol is O U N Z, I believe, is the symbol for that uh, Merck Gold Trust. Uh, thank you for joining me again, Axel. It's good to talk to you again. Great to be with you. Always good to get your insights, especially, you know, it's not too many people I know who are privy to uh, to meeting uh, the makers and shakers of this world. And you were just at a central bank conference, you told me, at Stanford. Uh, anything you could tell us about that? Oh, sure, yes. Well, the Stanford conference organized by the Hoover Institute, John Taylor, after whom the Taylor Rule is um, is named, invited me. 
And a couple of interesting pieces there. One of them was um, Mr. Walsh, who was a governor during the 2008 crisis, saying that people are just reading statements during the FOMC meeting. There isn't really any debate. You need to have committees. You need to have, um, you can't have just the chair decide on everything. Um, uh, Paul Tucker of the Bank of England, the former deputy governor there, um, chimed in on that and was bragging about how great they do at the Bank of England. The, the most noteworthy comment, I thought, came maybe from Charlie Plaza. He didn't get much coverage on that. What he said, is that we should go back to basics on, on central banking. Now, clearly, in our audience, maybe we should get rid of them entirely. But what he said is that let the Fed just have a inflation target, nothing else. Mm-hmm. And what he means with that is when emergency liquidity is provided, the Fed shouldn't do that. The Treasury should authorize it. The Fed can then provide the money, maybe short term, but if that money sticks around at the Fed, it should be swapped with Treasuries. So basically, the Fed gets out of all the politics, doesn't buy anything other than Treasuries, and that's mm-hmm. how they can try to get away with the policy. So I thought that was one of the more interesting notes. Well, that certainly was uh, what central bankers did for the most part until recent years. Was uh, you know, if they bought anything at all, it was Treasuries, right? Oh, of course, yes, but uh, but yeah. they do provide liquidity. He said, take it a step further. Even emergency liquidity, no, have the Treasury make that decision. And the key difference is that those are elected politicians, um, and it's fiscal policy, because the more support you provide, the more you're drawn into politics, the more havoc it creates, and the more it distorts the market. And I mean, we've been complaining about that for years, obviously, but he says the way to fix it is not by piling more responsibility onto the Fed with financial stability, he added, but what the heck that means, whatever that may mean, and and then all these other things. So let's let's just take it back. Let's dial it back. And I thought that was more one of the more sensible comments that were made. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you know, thought comes to me, Axel, is why in the world do you need debate? We know what the truth is. All you have to do is print more money. It says no 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 reason to debate it, right? I mean, just just go out and <laughs> asset purchase uh, till you know to, to infinity. I mean, that seems to be the pos- the posture of, of both Bernanke and, and Janet Yellen. I mean, yes, notwithstanding yes. their rhetoric, it seems to be what they're what they're up to always. Well, uh, and ultimately, of course, the, the, the I've always argued that you can get away with a pretty bad central bank if you have good fiscal policy. But if you have bad fiscal policy, the best central bank won't help you. Ultimately, the hostage of the government, and and obviously all these issues are all the central banking. Um, and by the way, multiple speakers, including one of the, John Williams, the the um, the San Francisco Fed president said that, hey, during the gold standard, things weren't so bad. They worked pretty well. Um, you could, you were able to, to kind of take the government out of many of these things, but he did lament that, well, ultimately it broke down. Whenever there was a crisis, people got off the gold standard. And that's a fair point well, as well. Well, that is, that is certainly a heresy from a central banker to talk like that, I would think. I would certainly think that, uh, you know, I mean, I'm wondering to what extent, we, we read a lot, I don't know your comments, we, I don't think you and I have talked about this too much, but to what extent have you know, are the Chinese shaping a dialogue with respect to monetary policy? They're the BRIC countries, as as it were. We're reading more and more things about the BRICs, uh, and especially China, and to an to an extent Russia, but certainly India as well. Continue to import huge amounts of gold. What are your thoughts on that? Are are we heading into some sort of a competition uh, for the petrodollar against uh, against say a uh, petrol gold um, system? Uh, it, in many ways, it does, but. I don't think it's done in as overtly a way as the gold community discusses it, meaning that clearly gold, precious metals, wealth has been shifting eastward. But the question is, 
is there some quote unquote conspiracy where people say, oh, we got to pile up the gold and, and take it away from the Americans or the Europeans or whoever might have it? I, I don't think so. It just happens as a result of wealth shifting. If you need money, you liquidate mm-hmm. what you got. And uh, mm-hmm. those are any assets and you sell your stuff out. And, and the folks who have assets, they buy it. And so sometimes to buy treasuries, well, or sometimes to buy gold. Uh, and, and, and so as such, yes, the, the status of the reserve currency is, is gradually being diminished, but I always compared a little bit to a frog in a boiling pot. Uh, by the time that it has happened, uh, it's going to be too late. Um, and sure, we can warn about it, but it's just a process, a grinding process uh, with ups and downs. Um, and at the end of the day, yes, uh, the, the dollar won't be the reserve currency anymore. And yes, the renminbi will be more important. And yes, the Chinese are going to have more gold. Well, it certainly is historical. Whenever countries run into trouble, they get rid of their gold. And those uh, the gold really follows the wealth. So as wealth shifts from west to east, uh, that certainly makes sense to me, Axel. And, and it uh, should. And, and, it, and it should. The, the yeah. only thing, of course, is that shouldn't happen is we shouldn't pursue policies where we have to give our wealth away. But if, right. if we do live beyond our means, it's, it, it, the, the gold should move somewhere else. Um, what has to change, we shouldn't put a block into that. What has to change is the policies we pursue at home so that we create wealth rather than give it away. You know, before we get started, I want to ask you some things about uh, about some of these key markets, uh, the dollar and uh, the euro and uh, some more about gold and, and equities and so forth. But uh, I want to ask you about the Merck Gold Trust. How How is that going? And are, are people at all taking any possession of gold? Or are they just simply happy enough to have paper gold? Well, sure. I mean, it's it's working quite nicely. We got a little over sixty million worth of gold in the trust. Um, it's mm-hmm. trading as it should, as historically traded with about a one cent spread. And uh, most people buy it simply because they like to have the option of one day taking delivery. Um, but we've had about a handful of people take delivery. And uh, that process is working. It's tested. We have a patented process. And the idea is really that um, you can buy gold with the convenience of an ETF. But if you ever change your mind, you can take delivery. And what many people are not aware of is that taking delivery in itself is not a taxable event. So if you have appreciated shares of ounce, O-U-N-Z is the symbol, then um, you can say, all right, give me the gold I already own through the ETF. And we ship it to you. And you retain the cost basis when you originally purchased the gold through the ETF. Yeah. Okay, so you don't have to, uh, obviously, until you sell, you sell the gold or trade it for something else, you don't have to report it, uh, a tax event. Could you just uh, very briefly review for our listeners what the process is if they want to ch- exchange their, uh, their ounce O-U-N-Z for, for physical gold? Well, sure. You come to our website, merkgold.com, and there's a calculator that tells investors how much gold their shares refer to. And if they want to take delivery, they fill in the application that's on there, and basically it says the type of gold they want to have. And note that we hold London bars in London, um, just like the other gold ETFs do, and you can take delivery of the London bars, except most individual investors don't like London bars. Um, you can have those London bars exchanged into coins at the time you take delivery, and you can have any of the major coins, there are certain parameters, but it's most of the major coins are available. And, um, and then... Um, there's a fee that's associated with it. Um, it refers approximately to the markup uh, that you would pay for, for a coin um, corresponding to the spot price of gold. And, uh, and you transfer the money to us. You file the application to us. And, uh, and uh, you, you, you transfer the, the shares to, to the trust. And uh, then we release the gold and have that converted and sent. And the process uh, takes about 10 days from start to finish. Um, and, and so it's a, it's a fairly straightforward process. Um, and 
and then by the way, we do have, we do, the requirement is to take as little as one ounce, although it's not very economical to take only one ounce. We do have minimum fees, so starting at about 40 ounces, it's, it's, um, it's cost comparable to other ways of getting gold. All right, very good. Well, let's, let's get into the markets a little bit. The U.S. Treasury markets, we've seen the Bund, uh, the German Bund get hit pretty hard. Uh, it's, it's rallied back a bit, so as has the U.S., the 10-year U.S. Treasuries. What are your thoughts on the, on the Treasury markets now? Well, I mean, a couple of things. First of all, we, we've had a market where if you're a momentum trader, you have made money. And it doesn't matter whether you've been thinking. Actually, the less you've been thinking, the better it's been. And so people have been piling into things, and these trends work until the reverse. So people were piling into German bonds. Um, and then at some point, somebody decided to sell. And we had a fairly dramatic sell-off in bonds. Now, the day we're talking, bonds are actually up because the, the fears in the Eurozone are escalating again. Um, but what this symptomatic of what we have in all the markets that volatility is compressed um, complacency is rampant and at some point, fear comes back into the market, and that's really when we think trouble is going to come to all the markets because we don't have the liquidity um, that I think that many people think there are. It's one thing to buy securities. It's another one to sell them. Um, and in, in the short term, we've had a huge first for nine months or so, everybody said the dollar is great. Everything else is horrible, um, and the dollar was soaring. Uh, then we had a big short squeeze, and the euro was, was coming back quite a bit. And in recent days, um, the dollar has strengthened again. Uh, ultimately, with the world is tones of grays. It's not that the U.S. is fantastic and Europe is absolutely horrible. And, and the opposite isn't true either. And, and so these markets are gyrating between extremes. Um, obviously, that gives opportunities to some, but mostly what it does, it scares away people. Uh, it dries up liquidity. Um, and it's the only place that hasn't seen really much of the volatility is the equity market. And it's, uh, I think it's going to come there sooner rather than later. You know, we were just talking to Michael Oliver a few minutes ago, and he is convinced that central bankers are not actually omnipotent, and that eventually, no matter what kind of anti-free market forces uh, are attempted by central bankers, that the markets will ultimately prevail. I'm, I'm guessing that you probably agree with that general philosophy. Well, of course. I mean, and we saw that you mentioned the bonds. I mean, the... Uh plunging as they did in just a few days the other day um, is a sign that, that, that central banks are just zipping from a straw uh, from the ocean and ultimately the market forces are stronger. Uh, but they do control the printing press. Uh, one has to be uh, careful because that these are kind of some big boys you're, you're fighting against. When, 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 but at some point, yes. They, I mean, take Japan, for example. Um, in my view, Japan is pretty hopeless long term. The worst thing that can happen to them is economic growth. The reason I say that is because if you have economic growth, uh, the bonds would sell off. It would make it, in my view anyway, impossible to finance the deficits. Uh, and, and, and so now central banks are going to fight it by buying bonds, by monetizing the debt. Well, something will give somewhere. Um, and right now, it's, uh, it's the currency again that's under pressure. Um, but of course, when these big banks print billions and trillions, it's going to have ripple effects in all kinds of markets. All right. Well, certainly, uh, you know, attached to the U.S. Treasury is the U.S. dollar. You were fairly bullish on, uh, I think, on the euro to start this year. Um, what, what's what's causing the dollar's relative strength? I mean, why are we seeing so much strength in the dollar? I guess it has to do with uh, what so-called easy monetary policies of, of Draghi, as opposed to supposedly tight monetary, tighter monetary policies by Janet Yellen, right? 
Well, I mean, generally, there are two major trends, exactly. It's the, it's the interest rate differential, and then there's the potential con- fear of contagion with uh, what's happening in Greece. And uh, what I argued, and that's why everybody says I'm a Eurobull, is that um, there, the, the Greek contagion is overrated. And the, the reason being is that very few financial institutions hold any Greek debt outside of Greece. And so Greece's problems are mostly problems for Greece, and then it's a political problem for major institutions uh, like the IMF, the ECB, but those those losses there will not cause a systemic breakdown. And then conversely, with regard to the interest rate differential, um, right now, again, we had a couple of days of good economic data in the U.S., so everybody thinks the U.S. is going to be tightening. Um, things aren't that great in the U.S., and things aren't that horrible in Europe. We have a cyclical recovery in Europe, and in the U.S., the, the recovery is, is not going quite according to plan. Um, but it, And we've had this talk about a rate hike forever. I'd like to remind people we're still at zero or zero to 25 basis points. And as we're going to raise rates, and I do think we will be raising rates, possibly as early as September, the Fed all but promises to be behind the curve. And the reason I say that is because the FOMC says in their statement that even if the economy goes back to normal and and, and employment goes back to normal, um, the Fed will be having rates that are lower than otherwise normal, meaning real interest rates are going to continue to be zero to negative. Um, and, and so in that sort of environment, I don't know why the U.S. should be so far ahead of everybody else. Well, then I would, you know, with, with these negative interest rates, one would think that gold should be really uh, on a tear. It should be rising very dramatically. Why do you think it's not? Well, gold has held up very well in the light that the dollar has, has really been on a tear. So one has to put that into context. Um, I mean, we've had gold was up 12 years in a row. Uh, lots of speculators piled in on the upside. Then we had this major correction, um, and we probably overshot on the downside. And now everybody is waiting for what the next step is. Um, if you have positive real interest rates, that would clearly be a competition to gold because gold is a break and doesn't pay any interest. Now, because there's this quote-unquote fear by some people that, um, that, that rates will go up, and some people are reluctant to buy. And it's, it's a herd mentality we see over and over again. Um, as the Fed is going to raise rates, at some point people are going to point out, well, wait a second, stay up behind the curve. Um, and, and so, but for now, because the next move is going to be higher, everything is going to be great. So people think. Um, my view is that rates are low to negative now. I don't think we can afford to have positive interest rates in the U.S., in the Eurozone, or Japan any time really for an extended period over the next decade because we are just going to kick the can down the road. But in the meantime, yes, people are full that rates are going to be higher and, and that's going to be competition to gold. Um, and so you do with it what you want. I mean, you can just um, take it as a buying opportunity um, or if you're in the camp that says, yep, real rates are going to go higher, then, then you might want to sell your gold. I'm not in that camp though. With respect to Greece, uh, David Stockman article he wrote over the weekend in which he's basically saying uh, that, well, I'll just read here what he said. He says, uh, the ECB is now on the hook for $138 billion of Greek liabilities, an amount that is equal to the remaining deposits in its entire banking system. Needless to say, when the impending Greek accident explodes into the front pages, there will be pandemonium at the ECB and in Brussels and capitals uh, throughout the 19-nation eurozone. Uh, that sounds like something that should be extremely bullish for gold. But but maybe you'd just comment: Is is Stockman got the numbers right there? Do you think? And and uh, to what extent might this be really a, a very bad thing for uh, for the euro? 
I don't know whether he's right to the euro cent, but he's right in the order of magnitude. Um, and uh, let's not forget that the Bank of Israel has had a net, negative net worth for the past 20 years, and mm-hmm. the world hasn't blown up. Um, a, the, the, whether the net worth of a central bank is negative or not is really a, a PR problem more than anything else. They're printing <laughs> fiat money, so it, it doesn't matter. Now, if, what's different about the ECB is that they have a contractual agreement that if they do have losses, that other member countries do pay that back into the ECB. But mm. keep in mind, um, rules are there to be broken and to be twisted. And and so they can say, hey, we haven't reached the maturity of these bonds, and uh, therefore we don't have to recognize the losses yet. Look at the Swiss National Bank. We haven't had any losses yet um, that are realized. Uh, and, and, and so who knows what's going to happen in practice. Now, even if $130 billion were to be paid into the ECB, again, that's a political problem. That's not a financial stability problem because the Eurozone as a whole can afford $130 billion. It looks pretty bad um, to have to pay that. And also keep in mind, the, the money that they've given has been collateral and they've applied huge haircuts to certain things. So the actual losses are probably going to be much smaller. Um, but yes, um, if Greece does default, and I'm, I'm not doubting that, um, the losses are going to be severe. I'm just arguing we're not going to have a blob of financial system. Now, you're arguing, is it good for gold or not? Yes, I think it's good for gold. Um, but again, um, we've had this looming Greek default for years now. And uh, the market appears to have just gotten used to being in this in this in this zombie zone. Um, I think we should just get it over with, and and see what's going to happen. Well, certainly, uh, the status quo doesn't want to get a, get it over with, and they're going to fight tooth and nail. The, the argument that some have that. Uh, for higher rates or for the Fed raising rates, if indeed you believe the Fed is in control rather than the markets. The idea is that this, the economy will be so strong, uh, the economy is getting stronger, and therefore there, that's a good reason for rates to rise. And of course it is, but uh, could there be other reasons? I mean, just lack, lock, uh, last, uh, loss of confidence, for example, in the monetary system, I would think, would be something that could send rates higher. What do you think was uh, behind the recent... Um, the, the recent rise uh, in the boons rates as well as U.S. Treasuries. What, what, was, what was behind that? I, I think these rates are currently just driven by momentum traders that are piling in, and then if people want to go to the ex- for the exit, there isn't enough liquidity there. So that's why we're going to see volatility there. I don't think they reflect fundamentals really anywhere in the world. Rates should be much higher, but central banks have talked up um, the prices lower these rates, and uh, they're just setting themselves up for for a surprise down the road. And these are all just canneries in the in the coal mine. Be it the Swiss National Bank earlier this year, the, the little bunt scare we've had, the taper tantrum, um, things. Once you start messing with asset prices on the scale that central banks have, you're just asking for trouble down the road. And it's difficult to say where exactly it's going to happen. The one thing I keep pointing out is. Look at the equity markets. We haven't really seen a huge sell-off there, and that's really where I see is the biggest risk right now. Well, that would sure, certainly uh, shake confidence, and in fact, it's it's sort of a new thing for central banks to be so concerned about uh, stock prices. It never used to be that way. I suppose well, uh, the reasoning the be. reasoning is simply that you've got to keep people confident in the system. Is that what's behind this thing? Well, it's because we needed to inflate asset prices. Remember, people were underwater in their homes. And the best thing to do is, of course, people downsize their houses to so they can afford. That wasn't politically acceptable, and that's why asset prices were pushed higher. Um, it's not working terribly well in, in lower-income regions with home prices. It works in Palo Alto, where I live. Um, it works on stock prices, but that's kind of the 
the, the unintended consequences of trying to support housing. That's really where much of this came from uh, because we, in order to get an insolvent institution to be solvent again, uh, well, if asset price inflation does it, then that's the tool that central banks use. And that's why if the tide turns and asset prices deflate, sure, there has a lot of healing has taken place, but it's right. still going to be a major headwind. All right, Axel. Unfortunately, my engineer is telling me we're out of time. Thanks for joining me again. I look forward to having you back sometime soon. Thank you very much. Well, folks, next week, uh, James Perloff will be with me. He's going to talk about chapters five and six in his book that will have to do with the Vietnam War and the current plans of the ruling elite that they have for you and for me. David Jensen, hopefully, or Daniel McAdams will also be with me. Uh, Thanks again for joining me. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Where infrastructure meets grade. Carlisle Goldfields, a TSX-listed Canadian junior miner, has an advanced gold asset in Lynn Lake, Manitoba, Canada, and is being carried through feasibility in a joint venture with NYSE-listed Orico Gold. The Lynn Lake Gold Camp has an open pitable gold resource of 1.7 million ounces measured and indicated and 2.3 million ounces inferred. Orico is in it to build it, and the project is expected to be in mineable reserves by Q3 2016. Government and First Nations support Carlisle's move to production at Lynn Lake. Oren Resources is a Canadian-based gold exploration company focused on the company's flagship Committee Bay project located in northern Canada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. The company's current resource outlined by drilling thus far stands at 1.1 million ounces of gold at over 8 grams per ton. Oren is operated by the same team that founded Asenko Gold, which is constructing a major gold mine in West Africa, and Caden Resources, which was recently purchased in November for over $200 million.